Okay, so you hit me up again for another one, which I'm grateful you did because it's okay. So this is season four as well, episode eight, and it's the goof who sat by the door, and it's, uh, it's a Thomas Washington story. When I say that this episode hit me on so many different levels, it's a uh, it, it it threw me off. It threw me off, and and so. Yeah, it was definitely, definitely, I have a lot to say. What, what did you think of, of the whole thing? I thought it was one of the most brilliant episodes of any television show I've ever watched. Wow. And I watch a lot of television, more so than movies. And just to get this knocked out, because you're a movie buff, and uh, you read, you know, you read, so 1969 book by Sam uh, Greenlee, mm-hmm. uh, The Spook Who Sat mm-hmm. By The Door, became a film in 1973. It was one of the films that I, I don't, it, it's, I've, I know some people have written about around, about it as it not being necessarily a black exploitation movie, mm-hmm. uh, but it came out in an era that people, um, it had more production behind it and it, it was a book prior and but so was some of the other ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was mm-hmm. just, it was a little bit higher of a quality and it had a different little story behind it. So yeah, it was much better than Dolomite. Because it was more like for message and not spectacle. I think Black Exportation was spectacle. And I think this one had a message. And I think that, I think intentions in this situation made it different. Even though yeah. it might have some of the same dressings in, in a certain kind of way. But it definitely wasn't the, like, the, like a lot of those other movies that came out during that time. Yeah, so the title of this episode, I just wanted to reference that, get that knocked out. The title of the episode came from that. There were some clues from season three. I'm not going to get into it and say what they were, but there is a clue from season three, an episode on season three that leads us up to this particular title also, which I thought was really awesome. We'll get into that when we go over the whole synopsis of the entire series. Okay. Okay. Um, But I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Okay. So from the start. Okay. And so what this is kind of based off of or kind of themed after, like you said, the spook who sat by the door. And, you know, it's about a black man that, that kind of plays like a Uncle Tom and, you know, and he's a part of CIA and he's learning the training and the way the CIA moves. And what he does is take that information he learns from the CIA and takes it, take it back to his community so they could kind of use against them what they've been using on them. And so when I even saw that name and I saw like the you know, the Thomas Washington story, just like, okay, so that guy played Uncle Tom. So I think it's interesting that the guy name is Thomas for one. I love that they they said, and we named him after Tom Jones. Exactly. Not James Brown or somebody like that, but Tom Jones. And the funny thing is there's all down through the years, there was so much speculation that Tom Jones was black, that he had to do an ancestry kit and show and publish his results to prove to people that he wasn't really just a passing black man that was ashamed of his ethnicity. But it was a rumor. I heard that rumor growing up that huh. Tom Jones was secretly a black man. Okay. Um, okay. Like they were saying that he was, cause that I remember hearing one of my uncles like compare, it was like basically saying like, look at uh, Johnny Mathis and look mm-hmm. at Tom Jones and Tom Jones hair texture is more <laughs> curly <laughs> than Johnny Mathis. Yeah. <laughs> And it's just like a callback to pre, like that's the name that Henson was given when the book was made about Josiah Henson's life and his story. 
Uncle Tom's Cabin, which is a whole different history lesson. It has nothing to do with this episode that I'm not going to get into. <laughs> I collect Uncle Tom books, so I, I know a lot about Josiah Henson. So Okay, we're going to end the conversation um, then. But yeah, man, I, it's an interesting one. It's a very challenging one, okay. uh, which is a lot like this episode. It's one of those things where there's a complexity to it. And then, you know, just the same, the goof, you know, like, or just the spook that's set by the door. I didn't realize also had another like cultural reference also to other than the movie before the movie that predates the movie was there like <laughs> the black the black person who gets hired and they literally set them mm-hmm. there to say like hey look we we're diverse or like we we hire negroes too. here's our token right here right in the front yeah right in the front and it's mm-hmm. like yo that's crazy mm-hmm. um it made me feel bad like it made me think about like how many times that i was set by the door and didn't realize <laughs> It, it really did. I laugh at it, but it's like it was traumatizing when I started thinking about it uh, because we've all may have had that moment. What I loved about this, this episode, before we get into like the details also was, or the, the heavy details was, I have to say that I felt like this entire episode was Donald Glover talking to us. Mm-hmm. Either him or his brother. Like one of the two, like, but they were telling the story of how they grew up and how maybe they're perceived within their community. Um, But it felt very personal. And it's just so you know, just to set it up, it comes on and when the scenes, uh, when the very first scene it comes on, it's a call back to season one. And I think they've shown it on other seasons. Atlanta has its own fake like BT. Yeah, Black Network. (laughs) Yeah. And so it has the disclaimer and everything. Mm-hmm. And if you're not really like paying close attention, this entire episode is, it's not a mockumentary in the sense that mockumentary by definition is like, they're literally mocking. Mm-hmm. This is done completely as a documentary episode of something like, and mm-hmm. it never breaks. It breaks character once or twice. Right. when it needed to to remind you because i felt like like even that disclaimer when that disclaimer came out i was like well hold on fx is on like i start going through my mind like well it's on it's all owned by disney right they need this disclaimer you know like but on the same token i was like they need a disclaimer yes and i knew better but i am i have to tell you i was so tempted and i finally gave in I, I Googled Thomas Washington. Of, of course you did. And that's almost the genius of their situation because they had so much real stuff mixed in with fake stuff so seamlessly from the people who were talking, who was real reporters and stuff, to the art school that he went to really exist. And so, okay, when I first saw this, even saw that title, first thing I thought about was the movie. And the right. reason why I thought about the movie is because Ivan Dixon, who directed it, I met him, right? Word, okay. And so I'm very familiar with the movie and the work and the director. And so to see that, and then the Goofy movie being one of my favorite Disney movies.
I love that movie. And it's a movie that I didn't know touched as many black folks as it did. It's like a well-loved movie by black folk. And it's funny how you can see something and think it's special to you for one reason, and you find out that it's beloved by a whole bunch of people. So that's very interesting. So a few years back now, I realized it was a thing, but before I just figured it was just kind of, you know, grabbing me for whatever reason. And then for it to be a topic of a black executive at Disney, which I thought was interesting. Like I said, it was just so much stuff because I, Okay, so a few years ago, I go to some of these art conferences and stuff and animation conferences and things like that. And I met a gentleman named Ron Husband. And so he's a black animator at Disney that went up in the ranks and stuff. And he worked on stuff like Little Mermaid and different things like that. And so I talked to him about his journey and stuff like that. And it was just really neat to know because I never really knew about him that he was that he was there. So when I saw this guy, it was just like, okay, so was he there also, you know, or is this supposed to be based off of wrong? You know, I couldn't tell. It, like I said, it was just so much stuff because some of the stuff that he told me was kind of like in this episode as well. So it, it, it was blurred in so many different ways for me that I couldn't, I, it was hard to weed out. And so I would just listen to everything just so intently because I know that a lot of that is real. And then also, like you said, with Donald and his brother and stuff, and even me being a, you know, a, a black artist, cause it also reminded me of that guy who did the voice and do the puppeteering for Elmo. He had a documentary and it was almost the same kind of thing. He's a puppeteer and he was lonely. And he's an awkward kid. So those stories are very familiar. It reminded me of almost two. Um, and we talked about them before uh, milestone media where you're trying to do your, you know, your thing, you know, even, even some of the outfits he wore reminded me of those dudes back in the nineties wearing those suits and stuff. And, and they kind of having that, that style of dress and stuff with those kind of suits and stuff. So even reminding me of that too, it just hit on so many different things that I related to and kind of had information about and connected to. So I wasn't expecting that. So it was like the, you know, full documentary. It was, it was, it wasn't, you know, and I, if you're listening to this, obviously tons of spoilers, uh, but it's not a real documentary. Um, but if you watch it on first glance, so I watched it just to tell my little story behind when I watched it the first time I was losing my mind. It was good. <laughs> and I think, uh, so then my wife, it came home for a lunch break mm-hmm. and I, I was like, yo, this episode, she doesn't watch any of the new episodes. Like she hasn't watched anything past like part of season one. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, it's standalone. She sat down and watched it and you could tell it, it wasn't until one particular part where she was just like, oh, I forgot that this is Atlanta. I thought this was real. Yeah. And it's so funny because it also spoke to this concept of not just like my wife, but even myself, we get really caught up on wanting to know our history because of how we're deprived learning real history in school. Mm -hmm. So the uh, documentaries and the the different stories that are being told in that format, we soak them in. It's like our, it's literally our books, you know, to some extent. And so to take this and masterfully do it and then to give us this reference point i feel like it was just for our generation it was like built for that millennial generation x you know uh early millennial generation x age group uh just perfectly because like you said this this documentary is based off of thomas Wash, this fictitious kind of you know character thomas washington who uh wants to make the blackest movie of all time 
and he's referring to it the blackest movie of all time being the goofy movie <laughs> and <laughs> that is just that in itself is just hilarious there was a few years ago that there was a social media kind of movement around people pointing out that goofy was black mm-hmm. and i do wonder I, I i'm gonna be curious to go back and take a look and do the research and see like how much i can remember like pull up from that time frame yeah um but there were a lot of people who were starting to say that but i think people were saying it because like you had spoke to earlier it was instinctual like we all kind of identified a little bit with uh, once Goofy was doing hip hop in a Goofy, you know what I'm saying? And stuff, it was just like. Exactly. He was the person they made modern because Mickey was almost too popular. So he was far enough removed to do things with him, you know, to make him relevant without destroying what the idea of him is. Like Mickey's so iconic, they don't play with him too, too much, you know? They, they won't go too far with that because that's their kind of like their icon in a way. Yeah. He's the yeah. safest character to turn yes. black. If you earn one, if you're going to assign ethnicity to any of these characters, when you really look at it, Goofy was the only one. Yeah. And, and what I think kind of started that, and I can't remember exactly what it was, and I can't remember if it was a TV show or a movie, but it had something to do with Disney or, or something Disney-like. And, and somebody wanted to work for them, and they were, like, I guess racist and didn't want a black person working for them. And he's like... maybe it was real but i remember somebody going to somebody something like disney or something like disney wanting to work for them and and them being racist and not letting them in and he was like saying something well your most popular character is black and then the person got offended and so and i can't remember if it was real or not i watched too much stuff i can't remember real or not but it was something tied in with that but I think I related to Goofy in that movie because of um, more or less like the, the father-son kind of dynamic and their travels and their relationship in a way, um, more so for that. And even though I've heard that too about, you know, like like Goofy and Mickey and those kind of folks being black, I thought it was interesting because the character Powerline, who is, you know, played by Tevin Campbell, he does a singing for it. Um, he had a brown skin tone. And so yeah. if I thought Goofy was black, that idea for me had changed when I saw that Powerline was actually black and he had some dancers that were black as well. So it's just, so there is a difference in tone. So if it was only the same tone, I would have probably like, oh, it's possible. But when Powerline was actually had brown skin and still a goof like Goofy, I thought that was like, okay, so Goofy's not necessarily black, but- Or it's I, one drop theory. Right. <laughs> it could be that too. It could be that too. As far as in relationship to like the show, you know, going back to like the the building of the Thomas Washington character, which is like an essential thing that you you're gonna do in most treatments uh, for a documentary, you're gonna put out like that history, yeah. the history piece on them, build it up, and like I thought it was it was pretty cool to like really show, um, you know, like how different he was and what people say, like so. He always liked Astro Boy, and I remember like yeah. what was it his brother that was like uh, it was his cousin. I think it was talking about how he cousin. he would always draw that character. He was like, yeah, I was, and it was boring, <laughs> you know. And it's it's crazy how how we all can kind of relate a little bit to that Thomas character at some point, in some phase in our life, kind of being that outsider, or having that one thing that other people in the hood just don't really care too much for, but. Like, you know, this Thomas character is called White. 
you know, but I, I like that his cousin had also said that, like, he at one point said he wasn't soft. Right. You know, it wasn't that, but it was just like, uh, he see actually his words was like he wasn't no punk. Right. But like, but yet he was still called white. And his mama, like, kind of gave him the attitude of, like, none of this is going to matter one day. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that's one of the most crazy things for that generation, that particular generation to have to deal with. Because they had a, a group of parents who raised them in a way where that was almost like a compliment. Right. right. Your child mimicking white culture. So that's still within that generation's mindset to some extent, a prim and proper thing, depending on what, you know, like what where you lived and what mm-hmm. the influences were but um but yet and still like he knew that he wanted to be just like everybody else once again i just felt like that thomas washington it, that whole character just speaks 100 to the creators of this show right and to most creatives period both black and white you just gotta be a little bit weird like i just watched the weird even though it's not anything like this, but I just watched that Weird Al movie. Don't ask oh. me why I had time. And, you know, but it's like, it's not, it's definitely not this. It's silly. Um, but this concept that like some of the most creative people are just always a little bit weird, a little bit eccentric. Yeah. In this case, this character really was. And so that really got me invested into this as though it was a documentary because I wanted to kind of root for him. Yeah. But you could see there was some sort of darkness there. Like and the the gentleman who plays the character, even though it's just in documentary form and he doesn't have to have a lot of speaking parts. Right. So to speak, just the pictures, the poses, <laughs> um, the footage that they show, he just it, it was just played so well. The interviews for the documentary, like the emotional involvement. Yeah when you ask the right question and it evokes that emotion yeah and so for those people acting to you know these are all actors but like they triggered it just right yeah to they acted for a documentary they didn't act to just so many layers there that i just yeah. like brilliant yeah. the, brilliant the, on their part yeah the uncomfortable lookaways, the the laughing at the wrong part because they're nervous or whatever or just kind of like looking off to the side or recollecting or even justifying some things you know they're, they might make a comment about something but like you said justify it and so you have his like his his ex-wife you have his mother you have you know his son you have his cousin you have his professor at school that people thought he was crazy for saying he was going to work for disney you know all that stuff and it was just crazy with even his story about how he even came to power how how they you know elected the wrong person so they had a picture of the the person they thought they were voting for because his name was thompson and not tom and so they voted for the wrong person and they got that and it transitioned into you know the thomas it was just crazy because it's very subtle, but the dude actually looks like Goofy. <laughs> if Goofy was a real person, <laughs> yeah, his eyes are a little off, a little, you yeah. know, a little derpy. I to cock his eye, because I was like, his eyes cock, like, <laughs> and he got this open mouth, kind of laugh, smile, grinning thing. Yeah. And he looks very goofy. Yeah. Yes, yes, and even how he's his stance and all that kind of stuff. So it was just so funny. <laughs> how you know it was masterfully you know curated those pictures and stuff and like you said it said a lot with those pictures but the way they did it 
And then also with him meeting the, the creator of the goofy character and how basically the character was describing what white folks would consider a black person being kind of like, you know, not so smart, slow to talk, kind of lazy, kind of shiftless and all this other kind of stuff. Yeah, a well-meaning black man or something like And it was just like, that's what they're comfortable with. Now, here's the more challenging question. No, go ahead. But when they were kind of doing that description and everything, they have a, you know, a image of Goofy eating watermelon. So it's kind of lining up with the craziness that they're saying, but it, and then even the guy who created it, they showed him like being in a, um, an auditorium talking about the Goofy character. And he sounds like Goofy. He has that tone and sound. So I thought it was just funny that they had the creator of Goofy talking like this, duh, 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 duh. You know, he's kind of, you know, he had that kind yeah. of cadence when he was talking. I was like, that's very funny and subtle. Yeah, man. You know, and I love the fact that you kind of sit uncomfortable with the concept of hearing that because part of that, although this is, you know, like a faux documentary or whatever, but you also know that that part is based in truth. <laughs> right. And you sit very uncomfortable knowing that like a lot of our past, we accepted it so much. And now like later in a more awareness sense of awareness which is the scariest thing for a lot of people to like realize that black people are waking up and not accepting the status quo and so like he accepted that okay goofy's black mm -hmm. based off of this like he embraced it did a whole art you know did a mm -hmm. whole art show you know did his his college work uh based off of this 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 character and became obsessed with the character but think about the concept of like how that would hit for this generation right right like they would then shut it down and get goofy canceled you know like opposed to like embracing it and um it, you know he made the whole pe the goofy please piece mm -hmm. and he's got goofy getting his head which i remember like watching that i remember in the hood we always had uh like my sister was one of them she would paint on jeans or mm -hmm. shirts, black versions of yep. everything. Yep. Always a black goofy on, on our shirts or a black Bart Simpson or Those something like that. Those were popular in the nineties too, when I was in yeah. high school and stuff, like, you know, people would wear that or, to a point where you can even buy those shirts and stuff. People be, you know, selling like, you know, underground shirts with like, like you said, Black Goofy and, and Mickey Mouse and stuff like that. And yeah, black versions of those popular characters. I love that it, it it inched at, but didn't give a whole lot of credence to the factor that we all know that Mickey Mouse was like kind of birthed out of this <laughs> menstrual character, like, you know what I'm saying? But we don't want to talk about it, but we know what it is. I liked that this character that they use, like he's also torn, you mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Like in the sense that he had a relationship with his dad, he lost his dad. But then he's also like has this relationship to the black community where even though rejected and called a white boy, the L.A. riots come about and mm -hmm. he still wants to take part. Right. And his mom being from that more conservative kind of like, now you fight with your pen. Right. And, and you, you fight with, you know, with the skill and the talent, wanting to keep her child away from it, knowing that her child may not even be built like that, you know, right. built for, for something like the L.A. riot, you know right. what I'm saying? But right. I love that they drew back to that because I you can't think of a documentary or a time if you're going to mention LA mm -hmm. 1992 
you got to mention it. Right. You can't like I. That's like you don't uh, you don't write a book about Oakland in the nineteen late nineteen sixties early seventies without mentioning the Panthers. Right. Like it's the only thing you think of, and so. I like that they did, that they mentioned it, that there was a rub and a conflict for the character, which once again, made me feel like this was a real character. Yeah, and the fact that he was, because of it, and it's not really fair to say, but he was feeling extra black because of the situation with the rise and stuff. And and then, you know, I guess his, his white co-workers or, or people on the board and stuff, they were just pissed and you could just see them looking at him like he was crazy but then there was also some folks that was on there too that was trying to understand like he had me drawing goofy doing the dap 50 million times or he's trying to explain to them how how to make the movements like this is how this is how you're supposed to be dancing this how and then he had the guy who went to go watch some black people dance and he got beat up <laughs> and, and it was kind of interesting because what made it really funny is that Okay, so they sent the white dude out there, one of the animators, to see how black people, how black people dance, and he went to the wrong place, right? And so he got caught up. It, it also kind of made me mad too, because what I took it as when he said that the guy was sent to do that, it's like when Disney would do stuff with animals, they would take them to the zoo and let them draw the lions, and let them draw the bear. They would go into the wild, quote unquote, zoo to observe, to get the motions and the movements right. And, and so that's where they would go to sketch and, and get ideas. So I'm like, oh, so he was going to the quote unquote zoo to learn how black people dance and stuff for this project. And not saying that's what that was, but that's what it made me think of. Cause I remember the animators would go to the zoos and stuff to learn how to draw animals and get mannerisms and stuff like that. But I thought it was funny that he went probably went to a black club and they didn't want him in there. He got beat up trying to. Yeah, I thought that when he said, I, I drew a dap 50,000. <laughs> like, yeah, that part is hilarious. And which is indicative of what happens when someone who's like trying to bring a culture that didn't embrace them mm -hmm. and they're trying to they're leading out their version of the culture. Right. And so, like, once he gets to this position of power, and he's he he has this this authority, all of a sudden he's got like Sinbad and Brian McKnight, right? And you know he pulls Kevin Campbell. It's you know like he has these people that's all around him. Mm -hmm. And but the Dap story, like, I love the way the Dap story, and he says he ducks his head in. And and Thomas says, "Who ordered the white?" <laughs> and the guy's like, "I like, didn't get it." Just, you know, like this, that like that in itself is is it's funny because it's like that is the joy of like if we were to get into that position, like when when black people who have the ability to kind of keep it real, the right. best part of the episode to me, one of the best parts, was the picture of him posed with the whole. <laughs> With the whole in the boardroom with the whole board behind him and he's on the table prison pose yeah right. that that's what you yeah like that right there it's crazy it, over the top that is it's possible and it's interesting that it's almost kind of like and so i saw it too in a way as also and I'm not saying if it's all situations, but I can see how sometimes if we do get into a situation, we could overcompensate sometimes. Yeah. And not in a good way. And what we're perceiving to be or flaunting or presenting our blackness is sometimes it's, it's not exactly that. It's not coming off the way we're hearing it in our head. 
sometimes when you don't have a chance at bat, you just swing at everything when you get a chance. And sometimes that stuff needs to be tempered and you have to, you know, have even more so calculated moves because he went out there swinging for the fences. And even though he had an idea of making the quote unquote blackest movie uh, ever, you know, it was compromised because he was the way he was going about it to the point where they removed him and wanted to adjust the movie accordingly to, you know, make it fit the situation. I think that that happens more often than not. And yes. this is kind of speaking to uh, black people's position in corporate America, which goes back to the the concept of the spook who said, you know, who said by the door. Like we're there for a particular reason. And when we're given, and this is us as across the diaspora, like all of us as African, uh, as blacks, I won't just say African-Americans, when we're given a position of power, the power that's been surrendered usually then leaves another subset of people in a very awkward position where they're not used to surrendered power. They're mm -hmm. not used to being, which means they're no longer holding the authority in that. And it's so hard to divorce power and, uh, and authority, like false authority is what I would refer to it as. But this is what would happen. You know, like a black person knows they have a limited time. Like he said, he told his animator friend and this was like, yo, if they give me a chance to make a movie, I'm going all in. And mm -hmm. I think that that's what we do when we get a chance. We have to shoot our shot because truthfully, it's one of the reasons why we go into corporate settings and say we have to be perfect and we put so much pressure on ourselves and we find ourselves worn out doing the most because we feel like we don't have the space for flaw right. and so when we get into a space where power has been given um we tend to the mixture of bringing our context in it can get diluted a little bit yeah. but on the same token i'm one that always says nothing's wrong with that expression like the concept of and once again we're talking about a false person but the idea that if thomas reached this position of power yeah i would have sinbad and brian mcknight right and and naomi campbell and all and the blackest people i can think of would be in my office kicking it while we can and we you, know they're coming right 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 it's almost kind of like how when obama was in the white house you saw who kind of hung out there <laughs> Got, when is no one there will not be another person that's going to invite common to rap right and exactly that we won't it just won't happen <laughs> at and, you, all. and you know with the boardroom stuff it would have kind of reminded me of and i think the situation would have been different a little bit but when i saw that he's trying to do his thing there i thought of reginald hudlin you know, but he was in, he's over, over BET. So it might be a little, well, it's not really black owned at the time he was there necessarily, but it just reminded me of him, of all the stuff he wanted to do and, and how even with it being BET, he probably was still hitting some stuff, like some good stuff probably came out of it and some bad stuff probably came out of it. When I thought about the, the person, I finally get a chance to drive. I think of Reginald Hutland and his, <laughs> which was almost kind of joked about and kind of brought up with uh aaron mcgruger as well with uh boondocks you know to the point where they pulled the episode uh oh. from airing yeah i think 100 percent. he's one of the best examples of uh someone and then you when you think you go back to season five to episode five conversation right mm -hmm. uh, it kind of pulls back to that same space of if i'm given the opportunity i'm going you know deep which is to some extent maybe what atlanta is right mm -hmm. opposed to 
what Tyler Perry's like, yo, if I get the opportunity, I'm just going to replicate a whole lot of what, what they like and not what we like. Because what we like is going to get you a hard four, four seasons and you need to go on the way before you get too deep. Mm-hmm. Um, what they like is a little bit different. going to stop this conversation here, but we're going to hit you back with another one soon. Thanks for listening, and please like and subscribe. Be sure to check out past and future episodes of this show, along with my other shows entitled The Movie Bench Quarterbacking Podcast and The J and podcast available now on all streaming platforms until next time peace